I thank the apostle of this house, my father, Dr. Victor Nazario, and those that have continued to undergird him, this ministry, his wife, his marriage, his family. I thank God for you. It is good to know that when we go out, that multiplication comes in. Sometimes we stay so long that we think that we're called to be the fixture, but sometimes our departure allows for expansion. Amen. And Elder Ross knows that in order for you to expand, you have to knock out a wall. And sometimes if you're holding that wall in place, you don't have a chance to expand. And so I thank God that this man trusted the vision that was on the inside of me and recognized that in order for us to, to walk and expand, the vision would come alongside his vision and Calvary's vision and, and be separate but complete and connected at the same time. And so I thank God for Dr. Victor Nazario, Pastor Gwen, and the Calvary family. I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for standing with us. Amen. Elder Isabel, always good to see you, woman of God. God bless you. I'm not going any further than that because I'm already in trouble. I'm not going to call anyone's name, so I apologize for not calling your name. <laughs> But I thank God for Minister Christina Woodburn, who's here with us. She's been standing with us for over a year and a half in our ministry. And it's a small work, but it's a powerful work. And everything starts, amen, with a seed, with a seed. None of us got here without a seed. And so everything starts with a seed, amen. So I thank God that she saw the ability of the vision that started as a seed to come into its completion. Amen. I thank God for my family being here. Shanae came down all the way from Connecticut with her son, Christian. And uh, hallelujah. And Victoria's here. Amen. I had a brother who paged me, texted me overnight, and said he was going to try to make it down. I'm not sure he's here. But Harry, if you're here, stand up and raise your hand. Let me know you're here, brother. Amen. I'm not sure if he made it or not. But why don't we take our seats? And as we do that, I'm just going to go before the Lord. Father, I praise you and I thank you. For the excellency of your presence in this place this morning, I thank you for the praise and the worship, O oh God, yes. that allows us to enter into that fellowship with you, O oh God. Yes. Lord, we thank you and praise that praise stills the avenger, Father. But I've come to find out, God, that through prayer, prayer kills the avenger. So, Father, we're not just looking to still the avenger today, but we're looking to kill the avenger, Lord. We're looking to annihilate the, the, the assignment of the enemy, Father, that would try to cause us to get off course from your will, Father. We thank you and praise you for the excellency of your steps, Father. Uh, we thank you and praise that your steps uh, have given, that you've given to us, have been ordered by you, O oh God. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. Now, Father, I decrease that you may increase in me, Father. I ask, Father, for the expediency of your word that will come and impart and instill in the hearts and the minds of your people this morning, God. I thank you and praise you, Father, for even right now, Lord, that minds are being renewed, Father, and lives are being transformed because of your word, Father. That's what it's sent to do, oh God. And I thank you, Lord, that what they will be, Father, has not yet been seen, but they're being becoming that which you called them to be, Father. And I thank you for the opportunity to add with that which has been added in this house, Father, that will cause an explosion for your glory. I thank you for these things, Father, and give you glory, honor, and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. I should say sometimes I get excited. You might see a scowl. That doesn't mean I'm angry with you. I'm just zealous for God. Hallelujah. I'm just zealous for God. Amen. amen. I see some new faces, and it's so good, Apostle, to see new faces in here. And I'm glad that you're expanding because you're about to be sitting on the sidewalk and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Can everyone hear me okay? 
Apostle Nazaro is telling me that you've been sharing out of the book of Psalms, chapter, uh, chapter 23. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you mind opening it? God bless you, Brother Harry. Good to see you, man of God. Psalm chapter 23. Amen. Hallelujah. And if we could, let's read this together. It's a short, it's a short chapter. Amen. Beginning of verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Very familiar scripture. I don't know how old I was when I began to, to learn this one. But, it, you know, you, you, whenever you see scriptures, this, this is very popular. You see it on tapestry. People, you know, put it on, on needlepoint, and you see it in different pictures and different frames. And you might get little cards. And, you know, if you go to a funeral and they give out cards, that's one of the most powerful things. That you see. It's just a very, very familiar scripture. And as we're young in Christians, we begin to read scriptures like this. It makes sense to us. Amen? Someone says that it makes sense to us. Does it make sense to you? Amen. When you read, it's like, wow, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I said, wow, that's why. I like that. And so you get saved. You walk down the street. You say, what's going on, man? The Lord's my shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. And then you go through a rough time and say, I shall not want. But what's interesting about the book of Psalms, chapter 23, is that it really doesn't begin with the Lord is my shepherd. If you, if you really look back in the scripture, you'll find that it begins with something titled like this, a psalm of David. A psalm of David. And the David they're speaking about is David the king, King David. I'll stay away from here because I'm going to get feedback, but I might walk down the center aisle. Amen. amen. King David. Yeah. King David. I'm going to walk down. I like to look in people's eyes. God bless you. Good to see you. King David. And so... King David was a poet. He wrote about life experiences. For those that, that know about this, you, you, know, you, you might know that, that today people like to, to express themselves. They express themselves in, in different ways. People are creative in these days. And so you have different shows, different programming, different songs, and they all have a way to try to express themselves. Well, David expressed himself also. If you know anything about David, he was a psalmist. He was a, it means that he, he liked to play instruments. As a matter of fact, when, when, when God uh, allowed David to get in the presence of Saul, he chased evil spirits away because of the music that's why you need to learn to appreciate minister natalie and, and 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 those that worship god in spirit and in truth because when they bring their pure spirits before god and begin to worship those things that you might be laboring with through the course of the week you're able to let those demons chase and take flight that's why when she sang that last song i saw fire begin to fall in its place and those that may who may not have entered in began to enter in. They may have had a problem pressing through, maybe one song, another song, but I saw a press through beginning to break. Hallelujah. It's scriptural. Yes. 
We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17 how Samuel uh, called uh, and anointed David and then he goes into a presence of Saul and begins to, and begins to play and Saul's able to be able to find a peace. Amen? Is that all right, brother? And so David wrote this psalm. He really didn't have us in mind. When he wrote this, he wasn't talking about Eugene or Michelle or Lewis or John or Bob. No, David was talking about his own life experiences. When he spoke about this man, God, he didn't have you or I in mind. But God has a way of having us in mind, even when no one else has us in mind. So when he wrote this, he had you and I in mind. And he had David pen something so that you and I could receive what God wanted us to receive hundreds of years later. Because he knew you might have a go-through season that you have to get through, but you need something that's going to encourage you to come out the other side. And so sometimes we have to have something usher us from the point of starting to the point of ending. See, everybody who goes through doesn't come out. Oh, come on, somebody. There are some people who have fallen before they got through. You ever take a road trip and get a flat tire on the road? Do you stay there for life? Cars passing you by. And you're upset because you got a flat tire. Your phone battery is dead. It's raining outside. But you have a jack and you have a spare, but you're lamenting over a flat tire which can't take you any further. Life has a way of giving us flat tires. And we want people to sit down there and camp out with us when they were on a journey. Oh, my God. Let an 18-wheeler. Try to flag an 18-wheeler down on a rainy day while you got a flat tire. Stay out the fast lane. Someone say, look at your neighbor and say, stay out the fast lane. If you got a flat tire, pull over. You see, David wrote this when, when, when he, he got some flat tires in life. Uh -huh. Somebody say, okay. The Lord is my shepherd. No, he, that's what he said. Oh, yo, yo, oh, pastor, they're obedient in here. Oh, I like this. I got to put a pause on what I meant and say, okay, now I'm saying, all right. But that's good. Say it again. The Lord's my shepherd. Oh, I like that. Harmonic, too. They can all sing. Let all the quiet get up here and let some other people come sit down here and worship. Because that's what's going to happen. You're going to have to expand what you're used to doing in this space when you get to the new space so that others won't be able to. Because see, right now, well, you're taking this seat. No one can take this seat. But if you get up there, then they can take this seat here. Don't hold on to what God's called to be vacant. Move on. I didn't say move out. I said move on. Don't be fearful about the call of God. Because you may get yourself out of position holding on to what you think you want. But what God doesn't have for you. It's very hard to get something in your hand if you don't release what's out of your hand. 
I haven't gotten to the scriptures yet. I don't even know where I'm going yet. But, but the Lord is my shepherd. Someone said it. The Lord is my shepherd. It was a psalm that David wrote. Because he had an experience with God. And it caused him to come to a place where he began to express himself in such a degree that he, he wanted to, to be able to understand what he was going through. And so, and so you have to understand, you, we have to look at some of the life of David to understand what he meant when he was saying these things. This is a David that had a relationship with God. David did not write this from a vantage point of his initial walk with God. In other words, when David was still tending sheep, he, he may have said something like this, but, but the, the relationship that he found as being a shepherd gave him the opportunity to write something like this. But that wasn't what really brought him to it because there's so much inside of these scriptures that he began to take his life experience and put it down on paper. It was not penned at the beginning of his journey. In fact, David endured life-threatening encounters, bad relationships, a wife who despised him, a father-in-law who tried to kill him, a brothers who berated him, and a father who forgot him. Oh, come on, somebody. Could I say that again? Because we have to really look at the life of David. 16 years old, forgotten, on the backside, tending his father's sheep while there is a party going on and everybody's assembled in town because there's a feast about to happen and he's on the backside, tending the father's sheep, forgotten about. So this is David who endured a life-threatening encounters bad relationships, a wife who despised him. Remember Michael when he was dancing when it all came in and his clothes came off and she, she sat down there and she despised him. You have to understand, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L, was Saul's daughter. And when she saw her husband celebrating victory, celebrating accomplishment, Something inside her, maybe despise the fact because her father didn't have that, but her husband. You see, that's why you have to learn how to leave and cleave. Sometimes we get caught up with past relationships not knowing that we have to relinquish it to allow God to move us to the greater degree. And so here, his, his wife despised him. A father-in-law, yes, David was his father-in-law, tried to kill him. So let me look, let me, let me just set the table. King David, at, uh, King Saul at the time, he had the position without the prestige. Come on, somebody. Because God had moved on. Assignment without the authority. Come on, somebody. It's a hard thing when you're in a position knowing that you've been lost out of that position. You no longer are called for that position. You're no longer anointed. Your mantle has been, it's been gone. And so Saul saw someone, up, someone else up and coming. This is, why, this is why I often say give honor to this man of God because the reason why Saul was displaced was because he moved his feet from the word of God. He was displaced because he, he didn't know his place. Oh, somebody talk back to me in here. If you knew your place, you wouldn't get displaced. If you're operating your call, you want to worry about someone else's call. 
It's hard to be someone else. Matter of fact, when you try to be someone else, you have a vacancy of who you're called to be. So now the world is walking around with two of me and a vacant position of somewhere they should be. And when truth meets counterfeit, you know the counterfeit's going to have an issue. I said when truth meets counterfeit. I said this before. I, I said when, when, when a wife shows up at a party where the mistress is present, the mistress shows up to the man and says, what's going on here? Why? Because the wife is the truth and the mistress is a counterfeit. I'm talking to someone in here. Right relationships will cause you to operate with integrity without any concern. But when you know you're not operating with an integral relationship, you're going to have a problem with every turn. Circumstances of life cause you to sit down there and say, oh, what's going on here? And so Saul was a counterfeit king with an assignment of a position, pursuing the king that God had anointed. Recognizing that, so he got himself in a position where he tried to kill what God had already purposed. You can't kill what God's purposed. I want everybody to raise their hand. So let me say it this way. You can't kill what God purposed even when it's inside of you. You can't kill what God purposed in you. Whatever you have as an assignment in God, you can't kill it. It's impossible. And you know why the assignment is still real? Take a deep breath. That's why. Because you're alive. You see, God's not finished until you're finished. And so here we have David, who was pursued by a king who knew he was displaced. Saul could have went on to do other things. Perhaps Saul could have moved from position and really just continue. You know, it's because you miss God doesn't mean you have to miss out. But he didn't know how to reconcile himself because he was his heart never turned back. His heart never turned back. And so he tried to kill someone who had an assignment. Could I walk through this for a moment? This is significant. I'm bringing up these points because when you read the Psalm 23, we're reading it from perspective of who we are. And so the first time I read it, I may have been, I don't know, 10, 9, 5. I don't know. But it didn't have the same meaning. I didn't know what the Lord my shepherd. I, I didn't know what that really meant. So I have to begin to tie these things in. And so as we look at these scriptures, we begin to tie some things in. Can we do that this morning? Let's go ahead with this. When, Psalm, when, when David wrote Psalm 32 and 51, he wrote that out of a place of disobedience to God. Because Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you don't have to turn there, represent his, 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 his relationship with Bathsheba and his pursuit and his plan and his, his, his design of killing Uriah, her wife, his, uh, her husband. And he went through a process of losing something with God. He lost his spirit. He found himself alone. 
I'm giving you that example because when we read the book of Psalms, sometimes we can't just look at the context of Scripture, one through whatever. We have to look at who penned it. Because who penned it allows us then to go deeper back and find out why he penned it to get us to a place of understanding how it should influence us. If we don't know why it was penned, then we, we, we can't properly apply it to our life. And we're just reading from a perspective of how it sounds, never really developing it to a degree where we can make it applicable to our own walk with God. But the only reason why God places his word in possession of our lives so we can apply it to our lives and come out to be what God's called us to be. Okay. Okay. I know that was a mouthful. I know it was a mouthful. Every person in this room, by virtue of being alive, has an assignment yes. in the kingdom. Amen. Anyone who gets saved has an assignment. Amen. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Right? And he has a conversation with Jesus. I don't want to go into too much detail, but... A priest traveling at nighttime was error. A priest traveling by himself was error. And a priest going to someone that the other priest didn't want to honor was error. So Nicodemus transgressed every error to try to get to someone that he felt was necessary to get to because he recognized what he was operating in was not the purpose of what his call was. Here was a priest separated by an Israel nation. So here we have Israel. It's a chosen nation. Amen? And of a chosen nation, Nicodemus is a priest. So he's chosen out of the chosen. In other words, he was the top echelon. You are in this house, but you've been chosen to rise outside of this house to be even higher than maybe someone else around you. So here Nicodemus is given an assignment by God to lead a people that God called to be led. And all the while he's doing this and he sees himself operating outside the will of God. Because he sees Jesus and recognizes how he's been doing. It's been all wrong. And he says, only we know, not I. The scripture, we turn to it, put up on the board, John chapter, John chapter 3. Thank you, man of God. John chapter 3, verse 1. He says what? He says, we know. Who's he talking about? Nicodemus is talking about the other priests. So he's saying not only the chosen, but the chosen out of the chosen. Know that you are who you are, but we can't say who you are because if you say who you are, we'll relinquish who we are. So sometimes we'll hold on to a lie for fear the truth may find us out. There was a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night saying, Rabbi. So in other words, he's already submitting. He says, Master, I'm going somewhere with this. We're not out of Psalm 23. I want you to understand something. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know that thou art a teacher that came from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus added and said unto him, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless you be born again, you cannot see. 
you cannot perceive, you cannot understand what I'm about to tell you. Yeah. Now we can go back to Psalm 23. Because your insight is based on your perspective or vantage point. And if you read Psalm 23 from the wrong vantage point, you won't receive the full value of what God intended for you to have out of what you're reading. So that when we read, the Lord is my shepherd, we have to understand that David had gone through so many trials in his life that he recognized his father forsook him, his brothers berated him, his wife despised him, his father tried to kill him. Where am I going to go? Who am I going to turn to? I got no one. And it's in that that he found himself saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Does it now add a different perspective? Because oftentimes we think that we're going through something that no one else understands. No one else can identify what I'm going through. And that's the enemy tactic to try to isolate us from apart from a people that can help us walk together. Because we can't walk together unless we agree. That's what the word of God said. How can two walk together unless they agree? But if I stay in my isolated mess, I will never get into an agreement with someone else. And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Want what? Want whatever I wanted before I got to the revelation that he's my shepherd. I wanted what I wanted before I found him to be my shepherd. Now that he's my shepherd, I don't want what I wanted before. He will give you the desires of your heart. What are the desires of your heart? What he gave you? He will give you the desires of your heart. What was your heart before you met him? Different than what they were when I met him. But now that I met him, my desires changed. Now he'll give me what I've desired because my desire aligned itself with his assignment in my life so I can walk in my assignment because he wants the assignment for my life. But I didn't want that before I met him. But when I met him, now I want it. So now he'll give me what I want because he wanted that for me in the first place. Someone say, get the tape. Because <laughs> you ask me to repeat it, you got to ask the Holy Spirit to repeat it first. Because there's nothing I do apart from the Holy Spirit. This is not me. This is God. And he had you in mind. Because if you think that I have all this inside before you got here, I stand there sometimes saying, God, I don't know how to say what you want me to say, but I'll say what you want me to say if you let me say it. Well, you'll tell me to say it. But if I try to sit down there and tell you what I'm going to say before I say it, then I won't know what I'm going to say. And I'll confuse you and me. We won't have breadcrumbs to get back to where I started from. So one day, I'll just keep on walking. Just walk out the door and say, where'd he go? He didn't have anything else to say. He just kept on walking. <laughs> Pastor, uh, is service over? Is it over? Uh, I don't know. I'll call him. He's on the freeway. I think we're over. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so he begins to say that because that's what opens up everything else. That was the entry point for anything else you see in the scriptures. It's verses 2 through 3 through 6 introduced, are introduced based on the fact of him being our shepherd. God is a methodical God. 
He's a methodical God. He's a methodical God, which means he does everything in order, in sequential order. You cannot multiply until you be fruitful. Be fruitful, then multiply. Stop trying to multiply before you're fruitful. Selah. He gave the order. He's a methodical God. And so people try to multiply before they're fruitful, and then they go through some heartache because what their fruit, I mean, the multiplication brings, they don't have enough fruit to handle the multiplication. So stop trying to get multiplication before you have fruit. That's good? You like that? Yes. Right. Amen. Brother Jerry said, I like that. That's good. So he's a methodical God, which means that in order for us to get to verse 2, he had to place verse 1 in position because you can't get to verse 1 without getting to verse 2. Nicodemus could not get to see the kingdom of God before he recognized how many years did Nicodemus walk until he encountered Jesus. But the moment he encountered Jesus, now he can begin to have a dialogue because he has questions that never came up as questions before because he thought everything he did was cool. But now he recognizes he's a counterfeit, now he has questions. The power of asking a question brings a deliverance that otherwise you'll never experience. If you look at the scripture, you'll find that Nicodemus got a salvation. Look at the end of the scriptures. He's walking with the Christians. He's counted as part of the fold. He's working with them. I don't see anyone else named but him. And so Nicodemus rose above those that chose to stay below, which meant that it was accessible to everyone else. Hear me. Hear me. Jesus called the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, generations of vipers. That's what he said. But they did not have to be if they chose to follow Christ. Right. Say it's not over. Not Come over. on, somebody. That real? You like that? Look at her and say it's not over. I hope that's, I hope y'all, because you got an arm around her, so look at her and say it's not over. <laughs> now, if she wasn't yours, then say it's over. But if she is yours, it's not over. <laughs> and so we can't get to verse 2 before we actually take apart and understand the relationship that David had with verse 1. He didn't have a father. He didn't have a father-in-law. He had brothers. He didn't have a wife. He's running and living in caves. Brother Jerry, David had the first man cave, man. Check that out. <laughs> and there was no Bud Light in there. Devil's a liar. Which brings me to a point. Could I, I'll just give this a tidbit. Why do we turn a family room into a man cave? Selah. There's an attack on the family that will get a man to have a cave but won't have any place for the family. Another time, another place. Say men's fellowship. Are you getting anything out of it so far? Is this good? See, here's what we have to understand, that not many would have endured what David endured to come to a place to know God like David knew God. Not many would have endured what David endured to come to a place to know God like David knew God. 
Not many would have endured what David endured to come to a place to know God like David knew God. Not many would have endured to come to a place to know God like David knew God. Would you forsake your relationship with your wife, with your father, with your father-in-law, with your brothers, with your families, with your friends, with your foes, to get to a place where God says, I want to bring you to a place in me where you know me, and then I'll reconcile everything back to you. That's called faith. That's called faith. That's called faith, is it not? Because, could you, could you put up Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, please? Hallelujah. Good to see you, woman of God. How you doing? Amen. Because we can't get any further before we have the application of faith in our lives. Salvation is only the entrance to what God has already made available to you. Salvation is to your assignment in God what an acceptance letter is to a degree in a college. You don't get your degree at the same time you get your acceptance letter. You must go through the training. You must take the classes. You must study. You must crash. You must cram. And you must lament over classes and things that are so hard before you get to the place where you actually graduate. Now you walk. You get the sheepskin. Now you say, I've graduated. And you deem that an accomplishment. People get excited about an acceptance letter and never finish college. <laughs> People get excited about salvation never finish for their assignment. Do you realize 80% of people walk away from, from 80% of people do not walk in their call completely of God. It's not that they're not saved. It's just that they haven't lived to the level and the degree that God has designed for them to live. They haven't elevated up beyond the point because the persecution is so great the higher you go up that you refuse to go any further. I'd rather get out of the persecution and stay in a place where I feel myself comfortable than to get beyond the place where I'm comfortable past my persecution to find out what the real glory is. He said it'll take from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Isn't that what the word says? Well, watch this. It says then, if that isn't true, and if that is true, and it is, it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What is faith? Word of God. Well, they, they, they were working earlier, Pastor. May, uh, what is faith? <laughs> Say it again. One more time. Okay, I know we had some bilingual people. I don't know if we were speaking in Spanish or whatever, but I, there's only one verse up there, the New King James Version. You may have the NIV. Look at the screen and read every word as you see it, if you don't mind. One, could, Natalie, could we get them to sing this? <laughs> one more time, please. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Some people forgot the comma means pause, but that's okay. <laughs> that's important because if we don't recognize that scripture, we stumble many times in our life. Because what God says is that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Yeah. Is it, doesn't he say that? Yeah. You, you know that scripture? Raise your hand if you read that before. Just raise your hand. I, you never read that before? Put up verse 3, please. 
No, because, I mean, listen, we, we're, we're not here to leave anyone behind. And it's okay, because how many people read the Bible through and through knows every single scripture where it's at? That's right. So we're going to get here together. By faith, we understand that the worlds are framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made but things which are visible. Okay? And I probably wanted a little bit more of that, but let me, let me tell you what I want. That's good, too. Someone say, that's good, too. Go ahead, say it, read that one again. That's, that's good. That's good. You know Minister McDowell is a teacher. You know, she just flows right into that. And she didn't even wait. Y'all going to get caught up. You want to get caught up with her. She wasn't going to wait for y'all. She said, I'm not going to get caught out there. I believe it was verse 6. Yes, verse 6, please. And I want to thank you for helping me out here. Verse 6 says this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who is the him here? That's right. So let's say it this way. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can we say that? Is that all right? So, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You see, David got to a place where he recognized this. He didn't have Hebrews. He didn't have a Bible. But he had the revelation that the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And he had the revelation that without faith I cannot please you, but I'm coming to you. Because I don't have my father, my father-in-law, my mother, my sister, my brother, but I got you. Now, could we pick this apart a little bit further? Go back to verse 1 for a second. Please. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now can we go back to verse 6, please? She's like, make up your mind. Now she said, I got it. She said, I got you. I like that. I got you. So could we change another word here? Could we change the word faith? We know him is God, right? But I want to change faith for a moment. I want to plug in verse 1 into that word faith. So it says, I'll do it first, okay? But without the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it is impossible to please God. But without the substance of things hoped for, and yet, in other words, if you're hoping for something and you don't see it, you're pleasing God. And if you try to do it outside of that, you're not pleasing God. Because God wants someone who doesn't see it, but still hoping. David didn't have everything, but he said, I hope because my hope is in God. My trust is in God. My faith is in God. And so I believe God in spite of everything else. My persecution, my, my cave ministry. Oh, my God. He had a cave ministry going on. Had no one showed up but destitute men. But he kept on telling men, we got it. And he go back and say, God, I got my faith in you now. Don't, don't, don't mess me up. We got it. We're cool. God. Please, back me up here. We're good. Even so much that when he, they went out to war and they came back and they found a whole town pillage and all the wives going, the children going, the livestock going, the man said, okay, mister, we got it. What's going on here? 
said, hold on one second. I have to go to conference. God, what's going on here? Shall we pursue? He said, pursue and overtake. He said, we got it. How about to have a mutiny on their hands? Because all the while, they're standing looking at David, and David's only looking at God. Have you ever gotten to a point in your walk in this ministry? In, I'm not saying Calvary. I, when I say ministry, I'm talking about your walk with God in your own life where it feels like everything else has fallen short. There's no way out, and yet and still, you're a man of God. Apostle Victor Nazar says, have faith. Have you ever gotten to a point of getting tired of hearing faith? Well, I'm trying to tell you that why he's talking this is because if you try to do it outside of faith, you're not going to please him. And the reason why you're here is to please him. The reason why David went through what he did was because there was a nation resting in his shoulders, in his loins, and it had to come out. You see, the Psalms were never about David. It was about a king that God had placed in the earth to do what God has called him to do. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Sometimes we lose sight because we look at our assignments and we don't recognize our assignment is never about us. Our assignment is about those that have yet to come into place. In other words, God will speak a word, and you look, you look for the, the microwave of that word. You want, want the immediacy of it. But we don't know how to wait for the time that he speaks the word to the time that it manifests. There's a period of time when God speaks the word to the time that it manifests. And we have to learn to be patient and walk with God through the time until the manifestation of it comes. The Bible says in Habakkuk, it says, in the end, the vision shall speak. In other words, while you're standing up here and the end is not here, Apostle Nazario is always talking the vision. But you have not yet seen the vision, but there's going to be a time where he'll stand up here and the vision is going to speak for itself. And he's believing because he's a visionary, and you're trusting the visionary, but you have to understand it. Your trust really is not in the visionary. Your trust is in the source the visionary has. And the source that he has is not himself. It's in God. And so Acts chapter 13, Paul is having a conversation, verse 22, with others sharing the gospel. And he's sharing this with people that need to understand what this is all about. And whenever he shares with the Jewish people, he takes them back to relationships of the Old Testament. Whenever he's sharing with Gentiles, he takes them to a current situation. Amen? And so that's how you know who he's talking to, who the audience is, because you can see the background, the backdrop. He's talking about the background of the Old Testament. So he says, and when he had removed him, he raised him up. He raised up for them David as king. This is Paul's uh, uh, dispensation or Paul's conversation about the relationship of the things that brought into being Christ. And so he's talking about, and we're just taking a snippet out of this. I don't necessarily like to put out of text out of context. I want to give you the backdrop. Paul is having a conversation then with people, and he's sharing the revelation of, of Jesus Christ, and he's walking through the process, and he's showing this is a point in time. And he's talking about Saul. He said, and so when he had removed him, who's he? He here is God. Who did he remove? Saul. He raised up for them, them being the children of Israel, David as king. To whom he also gave testimony. Who gave the testimony? God gave the testimony. Testimony about who? About David. He said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after 
my own heart. The reason why the M is capitalized because God's saying this man was after my heart. He couldn't find the heart of his father. He could not find the heart of his wife. He could not find the heart of his father-in-law. He could not find the heart of his brothers. He could not find the heart of his friends. He could not find the heart of his foes, but he found the heart of God. And sometimes we think because everything's removed from us, we have nothing. But what you have to understand is that when God causes things to come out of our place and remove ourselves, move ourselves from areas that we feel comfortable with, it's because he's bringing us someplace. And if we try to hold on to what he has shown us before, then we lose sight of where we're going. David was after God's heart, and God said, because he's after my heart, I know what's going to happen. He's going to begin to do my will. What was this all about? This was never about David. This was about the will of God being dispensed in the earth. Amen. If you don't realize it, that this, this whole conversation, this whole sermon, this whole message was set up when the apostles stood up. Because he said the only way God's going to do something in the earth was through man. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what he said? So he said the whole message, I'm just expounding on what he meant. We never talked about what I would say. But God set it up so that he would give you the appetizer before you got to the entree. And the aroma is good. It's all good. So what happens then when you're going through circumstances of life? You can never look at it again like this is really about me or it's coming against me. It's because there's someone in my life that I'm called to influence that I've yet to experience. Who will call on God because they encounter you? Who will call on God because they encounter you? You need to understand that your representation of God will be someone else's revelation of God. Your representation of God. How you represent God will help someone determine how God is. How you interact with the Savior. Is he holy to you? Is he a righteous king? Did he save you? Did he baptize you? Did he cause you to come out of a circumstance that otherwise you could not see your way out? So when someone sees you, they see God working on the inside of you. And the things that you went through, you thought it was about you, but they're watching you go up and down the street. They watch you when you come to church where you don't have a car. They watch you when you come to church you don't have money to take a bus, but you're still walking. I'm walking. I've got to get up extra early just to walk to church because I can't catch a bus, but I'm going to church. Where are you going? I'm going to church. But you used to hang out at the club. Yes, I know. I can't spend money in the club anymore. Why? Because what's the club going to give me? What am I going to get out of that? Really? What do you get out of that? When you could, a headache? A, a, a hangover? Really? Come on. Have you ever walked, walk, walked out of a nice club experience, get up the next morning and say, wow, that was fulfilling? Oh, man, that, that was good. <laughs> they say, Apostle, that insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome. So how many insane people got going to clubs looking for a different outcome? They want to find their wife there. But when they find their wife there, their wife don't act the way they want their wife to act because they don't want their wife to act the way they acted in club, but they want their wife to act differently than what they envision that wife to act. Why don't you cook? Well, was she cooking in the club? 
And she's saying, why don't you get a job? Well, I didn't have a job when I was in a club. In other words, we want everything to work out, and we don't plan on how it's going to work out. It wasn't really fulfilling. I really wanted to touch on verse 2. You got about five minutes? Yes. Is that okay? Amen. Because verse 2 of Psalm 23 really is what this was all leading up to. Everything I said really brings us to verse 2. Everything. You know why? Because verse 2 says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I'm just talking about the A clause. The A clause of verse 2 says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And I looked at it from the NIV. I looked at it from the NLT. I looked at it in the Amplified. I looked at it in the ESV. I looked at it in the KJV. I looked at it in NJV. I looked at it in every letter, alphabet, version there was. And the only word I can figure out that it says makes means makes. He makes us. I was looking for something to expound on. Well, he acts us or, you know, he walks us or he talks with us, you know, or he's my friend, you know. And it says he makes me to lie down, which suggests that I choose to stand up. But when he shows up, I, I. Do you understand that in order to graze, you must. You must get down. And the problem is we're standing up and we're hungry, refusing to get down. Well, what's down? Prostrate. It's me worshiping the Father, saying, Father, I'm grazing. I'm grazing. The circumstances are not right. I don't know what's going on. No one's talking to me. I don't hear a word. And he says, just keep on grazing. Just keep on eating. It's green pasture. You see, we think worship is a good song, but worship is actually applying what God said for you to do and doing it. That's why he said to the Samaritan woman, those that worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. For God is a father is seeking. Father is seeking someone to worship him. He's seeking, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. God is seeking a father. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. God is seeking someone that will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is a conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman was told that she had five husbands. Oh, my God. And walking on her sixth husband and by Jesus. And she said, my God, you are a prophet. I said, I'm more than a prophet. If you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask. Oh, you wouldn't talk about me drinking. You try to get what I am drinking. And she began to say, yeah, but, you know, we show up here in this well that Joshua built, our fathers. And so we come here and we, we you know, this is where we worship. We said, listen, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers, I say true worshipers, so we'll worship the father in spirit and in truth. In other words, you can't worship him in a lie. You must come to your end and say, God, this is all I am. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I got nothing else to show for him. Nothing is right. My bank account ain't right. My relationships aren't right. My finances aren't right. My life ain't right. But if I get in you, God, I believe that you'll bring me through because your word is what you said it to be. And when you get there, God said, now I got you. Because that's who I'm seeking. I'm seeking someone to come to the end of their rope. 
For the Father is seeking such to worship. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What is he saying? He's saying if you understand that worship is more than you just see that what they weren't singing out there. There was no songs going on out there. That was woman who was we, we talked about Nicodemus, right? Who was a chosen of the chosen, right? Well, you realize, no disrespect to our ladies, but women back in the Old Testament and even the New Testament were second-class citizens among the race. Yes, they were. They were looked and frowned upon. And the Samaritans were a second-class citizen of the, oh, my God. So they were second-class of the second class. So the Samaritans were second-class citizens. Now you have a woman who was in the second-class citizen status, and she was a second-class of the second class because she was a woman. But she was also a loose woman. So therefore, she was not just a second class of the second class, but even the second class women didn't look at her like they oh. That's why she showed up at noon, because she couldn't show up when the other women showed up, because they were first class, second class women. But she was a second class, second class woman. Did you get that? Someone said, get the tape. So she shows up at noon, and Jesus made sure he sent his disciples away because they couldn't handle what he was about to go through in the first place. He's dealing with a Samaritan, and he's dealing with a woman, and all that just didn't line up with protocol. You have to understand, when God's going to do something, he washes the, the lines of protocol, and he says, I am the protocol. He says, I am the standard bearer. He says, if you come in like a flood devil, but I'll lift up a standard against you. I set the protocols. That's why you can have everyone speak against you. But if God's speaking for you, you're going through. And she went and talked to the men. And the men came back. Why? Because a loose woman looked good. And so a man said, okay, well, I'll go check out this man. I thought I was the man, but you say he the man. Oh, come on. You don't got, oh, come on. Someone get free in here. Do you realize that when the woman that you find to be very appealing says, now this is a real man right here, you take issue with that. I'm talking to the men right here. You want to be the real man. You want to be the alpha. You want to be the alpha male. And so when someone said, no, this is the real man right here, though. They got every man in that town said, I'm going to see who this man is. Because God knew what he was doing. Yes. Someone say timing. timing. The Samaritan woman and Jesus was yes. in the timing of God. Right. He didn't right. show up at 9 o'clock. He didn't show up at 6 o'clock. He showed up when she showed up and sent the disciples away. Who? The distractors. The ones that would detract. The ones that would get influenced by the conversation and interject. Sometimes you just need to leave your fellow brothers alone and say, listen, I'm going myself. I, listen, this is my assignment. And the reason why we get there is because now we can say together, because of that encounter, how to worship God. I've heard Minister Lanley say, we worship him in the spirit and truth. She can't say that if it's not in the word of God. So you owe that word of scripture to a Samaritan woman. A second class of a second class of a second class of a second class. Nothing like having Rahab change your perspective on life. How do I close with this, Apostle? I have no idea. 
I, I really don't. Because if he's making us to lie down in green pastures, this simply means that we don't have a choice in what we're trying to do. And the only way we get to a place where we stop fighting is when we learn how to lie prostrate. Our process of God. Okay, God, I'll say this too. Have you ever prayed for something that you don't see? You're like, God, I, I really want to do well in ministry. I, I, really, I really want to show who you are. What, have you ever prayed something like that? I, I, just, I just love you, God. I want to show how beautiful you are. You know what happens in those situations? God needs to now process you so that you can fulfill the promise of your prayer. He can't suddenly release the prayer. He must process you before he releases the prayer so that you won't destroy yourself and others around you before the prayer is released. If he gives you what you want in the immediacy of your, quest, of your request, then you will destroy yourself and those around you. So he must process you so you can live up in character to the promise that you're calling for. And the reason why you ask for it in the first place is so God can bring you to a place where you can handle it yourself and others around you. The reason why I stand up here before you this morning is not because I've, I, I've been processed, oh my God, yesterday. I've been, Apostle Nazario knows, I've been processed through time. Apostle said it earlier, he said diamonds are formed under millions of pounds of pressure. And you know what diamonds start as? Coal. A piece of coal. You ever hold coal in your hand? You, you, you squeeze it and it crumbles? You know why? Because you need to have precision pressure. You need to have precision. In other words, and I'm going to close with this, coal has to have precision pressure. What is precision pressure? That means you need to be attacked in your finances, attacked in your relationships, attacked on your job, attacked in your home, attacked in the street. So all you feel is tightness and pressure. Why? Because God's trying to get a diamond out of you. And if he relinquishes any one of those pressures, then you'll just crumble. And you won't complete the processing of the diamond. He makes us to lie down. No, I don't want to. Oh, God is hurting. Oh, oh God. He begins to submit. Lamenting. God, no! And God says you must eat. If you don't eat, I can't take you any further. He makes us. He makes us. He's the power.